Now y'all without sin can cast the first stone. But we thought it was unfair that some should have so many while others should have so few. With the benefit of hindsight, maybe it wasn't such a hot idea. But at the time, Ezra's plan seemed like the solution to all our problems and the answer to all our prayers. episode begins with me laughing because I just think it's really silly that you do the clappy thing and and I'll insist that you do it forever I love it but every episode starts with me cracking up because you clapped your hands it's now a tradition we don't even use the clap for anything it's just (laughs) it's just a ceremonial starting valuable for editing these episodes together but it's very funny and I insist that you do it and now you can literally watch me in the camera yeah exactly so it's like (laughs) um but (laughs) This is a very special episode, I'll say, Corey. Yeah. Um, we have an amazing movie to we talk do. about as we continue through our top five movies of all time. And this one's particularly special because it required a special sure guest. Did. Would you like to introduce I would love to, him? yeah. So we're covering my very favorite movie of all time today. And uh, it's a movie that means a lot to my family and one person in particular. So our guest today to go with my favorite movie is my very favorite human being. Our guest is Chris Damon, my brother. Hey, everybody. <laughs> What's up, Chris Damon? Hey, bud. Oh, you know. Oh, you know. Doing, doing the pod. Uh... Uh, trying not to, you know, I, I, I got so, I got, I was so calm just a second ago because we were talking for 10 minutes and now that's, like that's I'm, I'm sitting here you. like, yeah. e, I, ooh, what do I do? It's weird. As yeah, soon as Chris, she claps, don't fuck it up, okay? as soon as Jesse claps, it becomes yeah. a real thing. You're, you're going to be just fine, buddy. Again, there's, there's nothing yeah. physically different yeah. about what we're doing now than what we were doing a few minutes ago. It's fine. No. <laughs> I don't know. Does everyone taste toast right now? Like, anyway. Is that a um, symptom? I don't know. <laughs> probably. Uh, of having a bad time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Every time I get nervous, I smell burning hair. I can't stop it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the weird thing I'm learning about the Damon brothers here. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm I'm so I'm so happy to be here, guys. I I was I, I knew that because once the podcast had started, Corey was like, "I like, don't you worry, buddy. You're in the pocket. You're on. You know. You, yep. You know. You you just better. You better start uh, doing some practice swings and uh, just be ready. <laughs> so this is something that, you know, like almost equally. I think I think Corey, you know, probably loves this movie way more than I do, which is fair. But I'm. It's slowly, slowly becoming." a true top five for me as well. So. Wow. I love um, that. Yeah. Well, this is my first viewing of this movie. Corey, you should tell us what your favorite movie of all my time is. My favorite movie of all time is Raising Arizona. Uh, Raising Arizona is the story of a newlywed couple, one ex-con, one ex-cop, um, who realize that they are infertile, but are desperate to start a family. 
Uh, around the same time, they hear a news report that a local unfinished furniture magnate uh, has given birth to quintuplets. Uh, figuring they have more than they can handle, uh, they conspire to steal a baby um, to continue their life together. That's it? Yeah, that's, that's cool. it. Okay. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, it. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. You did but, it. Well, I, yeah, it, if you describe it and you, and you think about it, if it weren't a movie, it's terrifying. Inside the inside the <laughs> frame of a movie, it is very funny. They don't have a baby, so they get a baby. It's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, easy. That's what happens, right? That's if like if you can't have one, you just go get one. Yeah, if the yeah. world conspires against you, if uh, if well, in the in the language of this movie, if your past sins manifest in uh, a walking evil that is a curse on you and your family and thereby you cannot have children because of your sins of your past, then yeah, what are you going to do? Go get a baby. Got to do, do it. it. Okay, so when <laughs> was the first time you both saw this movie? Ooh. That's, that's a difficult question to answer because one of the reasons, like uh, Chris let me know that like he had spoken to mom recently and told her we were doing this movie and she got very excited about it. And she even texted me about it. So this is a movie that's like always been around in our house. Like anytime it's on, it's something that our parents would stop on and we'd watch little bits and pieces of it. My first living memory of it was when, and Chris, you might remember this, you might not. We mm -hmm. lived in Illinois and we were visiting some like friends of mom and dad at um, a country club. Do you recall this at all? Uh. Wait, uh, was it the, uh, was it when we went with uh, the stirs? Yes, it was. The... That's, That's it? it. Yes. So we were in like the clubhouse next to the pool, and like we, like my my our parents were almost friends with the family who went to a country club very briefly, which is uh, now that I think about it, a very similar experience that they have when the boss comes over for dinner in this movie. Um, but we were there and we were in the little clubhouse just off the pool and we were eating our little grilled cheeses and drinking Kool-Aid or whatever. And this movie was yeah. on, on a TV. It was like hanging way up high on the wall and they were playing Raised in Arizona. And mom was the first one to say, I love this movie. She's the funniest woman in the world. I love Holly Hunter. She's so great in this. And mom was quoted and stuff. And mom is pretty reserved typically. Hi, Kathy, by the way. I love you. Um, Hi, Mama. Kathy isn't the first person to say, oh, I love this thing. I love that. Or talk about like her pop culture consumption very frequently. So it, I think it stuck in my brain that this is a special movie because of how vocal she was about the movie. Right. It. Yeah. And what's funny is that the movie came out because you were born. In, and this is a maybe a silly tidbit, but the movie came out in 1987. Yep. And you came, I in, came, you, out in you came into this world yeah, in 86, right. and I came out in 88, and we were just bookending this movie. Yeah, don't so, think I didn't catch that. Uh, Absolutely. There, it's almost like it's kismet that this would be important. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> um, so you, you're watching this movie in the pool clubhouse, and you're you're presumably transfixed by it, right? You watched the whole thing for the first no, time. No, we did not. No, we, uh, we watched like five oh, minutes of it, and it just implanted this memory of like, I need to seek that out at some point. Because obviously, mom doesn't talk about movies very often. She seems to really get a kick out of this one. Uh, I need to track this down at a certain <laughs> point. Now, that, that was more like the inflection point of, this i'm going to remember this differently than i remember other things so that's when it kind of planted the seed 
And then <clears throat> like years later, it, it would play on Comedy Central all the time. And my mom and dad would quote it and they'd have it on the background and stuff. I think it was mm-hmm. probably it wasn't until like 10 years ago or so that I actually saw the whole thing. I had just seen bits and pieces mm. and you're. Wow, that's interesting. Well, yeah, like, it, it was like, it's the kind of movie where you can know the vibe of it and and immediately pick it out because this is written unlike most movies. It's extremely quotable. So it has a really long tail on it. The movie does. So you can know a lot about this movie without ever having seen it. But then once I finally did, it was like a seismic moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How come? Well, no, no. I think, I think I, if you go into a movie expecting just kind of a broad farce or comedy and it delivers on all that. Um, but it, it was like watching uh, a Wile E. Coyote cartoon that, whose point is that God doesn't care about you. It's such a strange, weird movie. Like the themes of this movie are very odd. I don't know. I just like we we can't. It's hard to explain why things latch onto you. But I think the, totally. the tone of the movie. It's extremely funny. The plot rules. The the striking image of Randall Tex Cobb setting fire to the West on his motorcycle. Like it. It really is a. <laughs> it's a Looney Tunes cartoon about the absence of God, but the presence of the devil. It's such a strange thing. Like. Uh, just my yeah. particular chemistry really works with this one. Yeah. All right, it, Chris, what's your take? My take is uh, it's 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 similar to Corey's because uh, you know it was always because you know I it, it's kind of like when I would watch SNL, I would never fully get the jokes, but I would always quote them like at school or something. Like I would be saying like Eddie Murphy quotes uh, at school, but then I would also be saying these quotes. Cause you know, mom and dad and, and Corey would always be saying it. And then it was kind of similar. Cause I, I, I watched the movie like for the first time fully, not, you know, not too long ago either. Uh, and cause I always, it would always be, I would always catch it on TV. Uh, and then realizing how not, you know, regard like the fact that it's hilarious is, you know, besides the point, the, but the the fact that it gets so philosophical and it's so poetic and it's uh, the the screenplay and just like listening watching it recently I'm like this is beautiful beautiful writing uh, and 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 they uh, it you know only they can sort of make these uh, this amalgam of uh, zany insanity and like Cormac McCarthy mm-hmm. wisdom uh, that uh, it, it's just kind of, I, I think it's always, it's just going to get better every time I watch right. it. Um, but uh, yeah, what a gem, what a gem this movie it's is. It's interesting that like Solid, yeah. this could have, this could have been Anchorman, you know, it could have been, We've chosen mm-hmm. a time and place. We've chosen a distinct dialect for these people. And it could have just been a joke factory and no harm, no foul. Anchorman rules. It's great. Airplane kicks ass. Um, but I think the this movie has one of the highest joke densities of any movie I've ever seen. Yeah. Like it's so it's so dense. And it it has another life of people who maybe aren't looking that closely, don't need this movie to function on the level it functions for me. Um it could just be a quote factory. But then once you actually sit down with it, it's like, oh, this is a completely different experience than than I've had with this movie before. And it's a singular experience. You know, watching that, even if you knew mm-hmm. nothing about the Coen brothers, 
you would know these guys have a particular way of looking at the world and they write in a way that no one else does. Yeah. And they write and they write about and you can just the the craftsmanship that they go toward because weren't they did they grow up in like New Jersey? Oh, they or grew something? up in Michigan. I, I, yeah. Michigan, yeah. So like couldn't be further away from uh these these types of characters and this type of culture, and yet they are fully immersed in it and you believe every single person, you know, that exists there and you can totally picture them to this day. And that's that's just such a you know admirable uh, work ethic that I hope to achieve someday right. too. Yeah. And I think like, it's true. Uh, the, yeah, they were two Jewish kids growing up in a, like a, a fairly insular community in Michigan. I think if you've seen a serious man, this is a movie that actually displays basically what their life was like. Great fucking movie. We'll talk about that later. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, these are, these are guys who wrote about the experiences of people with whom they were not familiar. Um, and you have to imagine that they were building these characters out of literary fiction and the movies. They were, their mm -hmm. understanding of these people is through archetypes and they're mapping archetypes onto this particular struggle this couple is having. Um, but there is like, I think the Coens are criticized sometimes for not liking their characters very much, um, which they don't in a lot of cases. Most of their movies are about uh, like man versus the soulless universe. And anytime you try to express your will things go terribly wrong and you end your own life. Um, but I, I think there's a genuine affection for High and Ed in particular. I think they like these people a lot. So that's another thing that yeah. sticks out to me about the movie is that these are very cynical people, the Coens, uh, and it, that's kind of like their sandbox they play in. But I really think they love High and Ed. I think this is like the one exception they've yeah. made. Like in the same way that they love um, Frances McDormand's character in Fargo, Marge. They right. like her a lot. And I don't know. I don't know. Jesse, let's, we're going to unpack this over the rest of the time, the runtime, but <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of the movie, Jesse? So it's really interesting hearing you dissect it a little bit because this is my first viewing of the movie. I literally watched it an hour ago, you know? Um, and so it's all sort of sinking in and I watched it with my husband and, and I, um, you know, the minute the credits started rolling, I think I had some idea that it was a Coen Brothers movie. But the moment I saw their names at the end of the movie, your head just goes, oh, yep, that makes sense. Because it's so identifiably, they have such a, uh, they have such a voice and a distinct way of telling a story that you, you know immediately that it has their vibe stamped on it. But I particularly appreciated what you just said, Corey, about um, them not liking their characters. Um, but that is where I think this movie is really interesting to me because I've always been a villain person. Um, they are so much more interesting than the uh, the main character or the the hero, right? Um, so if you think about if you think about um, uh, Othello, <laughs> you know, Iago is clearly the more interesting Definitely. character in that yeah. in that play um and this i think is allowing the the villains to have their own movie um and you get to spend some time with their world um and that's what made it really interesting you know uh, it's to your point like 
you get to spend some time with with the crime the crime people of the world and then you know there's this level of of crime uh and then it gets deeper and deeper and yeah. deeper as you meet more of these characters um and, and that i think is really fascinating my my favorite character uh in the whole movie uh is uh what's the uh randall tex yeah cobb Woo. uh is the actor's name and leonard smalls right is the is the guy yeah. who plays and such an iconic moment and you don't really know how he's going to intertwine in the in the whole story but when it really comes together man it really comes together um and i was asking i was asking jason you know what do you really love about this movie because he's seen it before this was my first viewing and he said um that it is timeless it's timeless movie uh it's it's something that is relevant always and it doesn't lose its appeal um versus you know movies that we could go back on that were made in the 80s are very very stuck in that moment um where they're probably even no longer appropriate you know for for 2021 um but this one definitely has the vibe of it is timeless it's something we could watch again and again and the story will still be still be there so i i can't tell you like i loved it or i didn't love it i'm just i'm just soaking it all up in this moment and i'm excited to be doing that with you two who love it very much so yeah Yeah, we're glad to have you i'm I'm glad you're here too jesse um yeah i think the the timelessness is an interesting part of this because i think if they the cones don't often write to the time period that they're setting the thing in outside of something like a true period piece like oh brother where art thou etc um but i think uh, oftentimes they're just writing about universal themes of good and evil. And what does it mean to be a, a human soul moving through the world? What is man's relationship to, uh, to God and the devil, which are usually personified in these movies or the devil is God is almost never there, which I think speaks really a lot to their ethos. Um, but mm. yeah, Tex Cobb in this particular one, he's playing the famous embodiment of evil, which I think is like one of the most used forms in Coen Brothers movie. You have people like Anton Chigurh, you have Tex Cobb, you have John Goodman and Barton Fink playing almost decidedly the devil. Um, This is... uh, Oh, and Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Oh, him too. Uh, What's his his name? The Glasses The Glasses guy. Um, I'll I'll look up his name because I know exactly who you're talking about. Um, But yeah, yeah, they, they, they are really obsessed of God and the devil and their place in the world and the presence of each throughout our lives. And, uh, it, it, it creates strange, interesting, very particular art. Um, but yeah, let's get into the, the plot of the movie real quick here. Cause, um, rather than talk about God the rest of the hour, I think it'd be more fun maybe to talk about Holly Hunter. (laughs) So you would, uh, Jesse, you would have raised a point. Um, a few episodes ago when we were first starting this project that there was, oh, that National Treasure was the only truly great Nick Cage performance. And wow. <laughs> and this, I, I, I told you at the time, I disagree with that. I think he's, he's good in good movies and bad in bad movies. It's a very simple formula there. Um, and sometimes he's great in bad movies also. I, I'm a Nick Cage fan. I like True. him. What did you think of Nicolas Cage's performance in this particular movie? I mean, he was great. It was a great character for him. Um, sort of this, you know, doofy crime guy uh, who's just sort of living his life and trying to make it work, but, you know, making it work in a very different way. Um, and I love that he is sort of guided by 
oh, well, someone says to him, you know, this is the time when men are usually, I think like the therapist guy in the prison is like, this is usually the time when men are getting married and settling down and having a family. Uh, and you're not doing that. And he's like, oh, next time I get released from prison, I'm going to go and do that. Yeah. And, and he, and he does it. Um, and it's, I love that. Uh, and he has, his hair was Incredible. amazing. Fun fact like, about the hair that he intentionally, movie, the more danger he was in, he made it bigger and bigger. So the size of the hair I corresponds with uh, how, how deep the shit he, is that he's in. Yeah. If when Nick he, Cage had this hair and these sideburns <laughs> in more movies, then, you know, we might have had better relationships. Just from like when he first shows up, he looks like the cock of the mm -hmm. walk. He looks like he's yeah. like showing his feathers like a peacock. Yeah, he's like, he's his so wild yes. at heart character. Like he starts as that. Absolutely. Yeah. And the it, so I think you can map pretty clearly onto his character the the wily e. coyote of it all. I think so far as like he even has totally. the Roadrunner tattooed on him, which is now the logo logo for a muffler company somewhere in the Midwest. Um but mm -hmm. yeah, this That's entire funny. movie is like him chasing his roadrunner, which is absolution and completion with a family and love of a good woman and uh, like an, an avenue to put his love into the world by creating a family. Uh, and then it's over the course of his several incarcerations um, <laughs> because he he has his compulsions. He, he feels an itch to rob convenience stores, um, but he starts to. Oh, what a great, what a great itch also, by the way. Can we talk about that? Like his crime is not, is not like serial killer no. level. He, this guy likes to put pantyhose mm -hmm. on his head and go into a convenience store and like steal um, diapers. Absolutely. Or whatever he yeah. has to with, oh, Always right. with an unloaded, always with an unloaded, with an unloaded gun. gun. The, one of the best lines in the movie is it's not an armed it's robbery not, if the gun doesn't have any bullets loaded, in it. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, like, <laughs> yeah. high does not mean to hurt anybody. High is, no. high, high is in a world, and I think this is, I mean, because we're, what we're really talking about is the 11-minute opening sequence that sets up uh, an entire movie's worth of plot, basically, of his gradually falling in love with Ed over the course of his incarcerations and, and his buddies busting out of prison, et cetera. But um, Ed, Ed does not intend to cause harm. And I think that's that's our buy-in with him. He doesn't use loaded mm -hmm. weapons. He doesn't do anything like that. Um, and the interesting thing to think about with the the main movers and shakers, meaning John Goodman, William Forsyth, Randall Tex Cop, Nick Cage, and Holly Hunter to an extent, they're all breaking the law. All of them are. Yes. And it's the intention of the law breaking that's actually indicted in the movie. So as high as robbing mm -hmm. it to make a living, to carve his place in the world, to build a family, to get a nice home, and just kind of move up the social ladder, whereas everyone else is doing it for capital and money, and that's basically it. So it's the definition of the reason mm -hmm. for the crime that makes him the hero in this movie. Yes. Oh, and so capitalized. We we won't jump here, but so capitalized in that ending scene. Uh, Buddy, spectacular I'm gonna scene. I'm gonna eventually have you or Chris describe that once we get there because I will cry if I talk about it. But um, mm -hmm. no, uh, so we're we're introduced over the course of the first couple minutes to one of my favorite film performances, which is Holly Hunter as Edwina. Uh, what do you guys think? <laughs> Give us the Holly Hunter report. What are we thinking, folks? All right, Chris, you first. What a powerhouse! Like she, she, when when she is, uh, I I think it's just uh, it it's totally round up at the very end when she you know 
screams and she's ripping off of she's ripping off her mm-hmm. tie and like yes. s- marching straight towards uh, the devil. Tex Cobb yeah. And, yeah, oh, so and saying, give me my baby back, you warthog from hell. <laughs> Incredible. Like, like that. Uh, and she plays it so seriously with and but every once in a while you can hear, you know, uh, the Coens being like, OK, like, say, say, I know, but <laughs> honey, like, yes. like in, yes. insane line reads that she probably was like, Ugh, fine, because she's because she's like a Yale school of drama. Yeah, she's uh, a like very serious actor. Funny, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And she and she's having to be like just and she knows she's she's obviously has a a, a natural uh, southern dialect. And so just having her being like <laughs> uh, is so excellent. I, I kept thinking about you remember um, the uh, the Pineapple Express DVD extras where they were uh they would give line readings to folks like, okay, say it like Oprah in the color purple. Uh, or say, say it like a robot who can't get out of the front door. Uh, you can kind of feel <laughs> oh Joel and Ethan behind the camera, yes. like be more Tennessee Williams. This is streetcar named design. Yeah. Like, like really yeah. dig into this line reading here. Cause the, the more serious you are, the more overwrought you are, the funnier it is. But yeah. Yeah. I, I, you can hear those moments so clearly. I love that you put it that way, Chris. Cause I was like, oh my gosh, they told them to say it that way. You know, you yeah. hear it in the way yeah. that they're. Because she's, you know, you you meet her and she's, you know, dead serious and Nick Cage is like flirting with her and then cut to however many months later when he's incarcerated again and she's just in tears and she's so heartbroken and she says, my fiance, like my fiance left me. Yeah, she that's and I think that's such a good acting lesson, like when you're in a comedy, like play it as straight as you can. Uh, and it will go so much further. Yes. Um, yeah, she she powerhouse is the right word. I think the scene that you chose, her marching towards uh, the devil, uh, is incredible. We can all only hope to have a scene where we can be that powerful in a march. <laughs> yeah. Towards the yeah. Um, but there's there's that great moment, and I think Holly Hunter is somebody who. We all know and love from different things, I think. Like yeah. she's done so many different types of movies and TV shows and all of that. And, you know, for me, what probably one of my first introductions to the genius that is Holly Hunter is through The Incredibles, oh, you know, uh, and hearing her powerful mm. voice coming through that animated character uh, is pretty great. And I and I think in this movie in particular, maybe the most I've ever appreciated her as an actress um, beyond some of the other stuff I've seen um, from her because she has those incredible moments. And this movie in a lot of ways is really about about a woman's struggle um, and things that that women go through that men don't, quite frankly, you know, and um, and (laughs) crazy. Um, Like finding out as someone who wants to be a mother, which this character does so badly, finding out that you are barren is devastating. Mm. You know, we all know people who have uh, wanted to have babies, but for whatever reason can't and then go through the struggle of IVF or adoption or whatever path they choose to go down. And it's hard as fuck, you know, and you can see the turmoil in her uh, when she finds out and the doctor is pointing to some silly, you know, like a drawing of a uterus. Pointing at it with a cigar. Yeah, it's the best. Yes. Yeah. Um, And then when they steal the baby and she gets this baby in the car and she's like, I love him so 
much like so immediately um it's the equivalent of a woman having a child and the doctor putting it in her arms after she's given birth um even though it's two totally different experiences but it is it is that same sentiment it's it's brilliant she's an amazing actress absolutely i think this was my first introduction to her yeah mine, mine for sure Raising Arizona, um, and then and then fo- followed promptly by the, the piano. piano. It's so uh, weird watching the no, fucking I... piano. Like, like, why isn't she doing a? Why she doesn't want a baby in this one? What's going on here? What's this movie yeah. about? <laughs> she didn't say a GD thing in that movie. <laughs> um, no, but like her, like, like I did want to call out the scene of I, I love him so much. That's my that's my favorite line reading of all time yes. in any piece of content ever. I love him so much. Her just like her soul escaping her body in that moment, and I think uh, that mm-hmm. that's why we love High and Ed so much because they they have this ocean of love in their bodies, and all they're trying to do in this movie is find an outlet for it, find the river that it can flow into. Um, and, and that's why they're the heroes instead of the villains, because they're wanting to put love into the world and the world has conspired against them or the universe doesn't know who you are and doesn't care. Um, but they were unlucky enough to not have the easy thing be given to them, which is, I would like to make another person. It's the easiest thing in the world. We can't do it. It's unfortunate. It's unfair, but our love is strong enough that it can justify the theft of a baby. Um, Mm. which brings (laughs) us to Nathan, Arizona. Nathan, Arizona. Ooh, yes. This movie is like a hit factory for performances. Trey Wilson in this movie <laughs> is, is working at 140 miles an hour the entire time and just crushing. Like every word out of that man's mouth, I would get tattooed on my body. It's the best. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's the Yosemite Sam. He certainly he of, is, yeah. Uh, of the movie. Uh, also because his character is every single dude you've seen on tv since growing up as a small child he is the like accumulation mm-hmm. of that person on television he, he's you the know small town magnate <laughs> yeah he he was the template for all them to come so yeah if you've ever been sold a mattress by crazy carl somewhere he is doing a trey wilson impression and it's perfect um but yeah like the, the sequence of them stealing the toddler pulling out their extremely oh. long ladder and stealing t- the toddler. A fun fact I came across in looking into this movie was that they had like 15 babies for that sequence. They just had to keep bringing new babies in. They would get fussy. They'd eat or whatever. I was wondering. And, about that. and one of them apparently learned to walk during filming. So they had to fire. That baby. Oh, I heard about this. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best. I'm delighted you, by this. Did you read further about that, Corey, that the mom even yep. put she was on, the shoes on backwards? She sure so that the baby would <laughs> wouldn't be able to walk. And that, what a stage mom! What that a is. Stage talk about mom. not understanding Holy the source smoke. material. Talk about like that's villainous behavior in the race in Arizona universe. No, you cannot put your baby <laughs> shoes on backwards <laughs> to get the job. Honey. That's the that's Tex Cobb style evil. We want we. Wow. But can I'm I? I'm blown away by that. That's so say, fascinating. Can I say though that the first well, not, well the most recent time I watched that scene. That scene uh, when he he tries to take the baby. That scene it terrifies. Really, me. it's a horror movie. They made a little horror movie in the middle of everything. Yeah, <laughs> that's the, hilarious. The way the camera moves, the music, the scenery. It. I've had nightmares like yeah. that, like where I'm in this weird, like decorative uh, nursery, and they're yeah. like, 
yeah there's like a weird clown somewhere or uh anyway uh yeah <laughs> what a great uh, like comedic acting performance from nick cage in that scene too you know where he's trying to juggle literally 15 babies in one scene uh it's really smartly done i i loved watching it and i was wondering because you know when you have a kid on show they're twins so you can sure. only make them work for so for so long and i thought how many babies did it take <laughs> to do this scene turns out three sets of quints yeah you you gotta have two reserved sets of quintuplets on hand at any given time to to film the baby scene um but yeah it's incredible it's a tiny little horror movie in the middle of everything else uh this this is a really good time to bring up um barry sonnenfeld uh this is at a really interesting point in a lot of different filmmakers careers where the coen brothers had come up being like uh film school buds and eventually like collaborators with the likes of sam raimi and barry sonnenfeld who of course go on to extremely illustrious film careers themselves um but movies shot by barry and sonnenfeld would go on to, to direct uh the adams family movies which are perfect especially values uh men in black which is one of the best movies of its decade um mm. and yeah it's shot extremely confidently but kind of unlike any other movie they would go on to make. It's yeah. I mean, it, it's like, uh, and they obviously took a, a few pages from evil 100%. dead with, with the uh, motorcycle riding up the, the <laughs> bike, or the, the um, ladder, uh, which yeah, that I, I still to this day am baffled because they were just hanging out on set on evil dead yeah. one, uh, just kind of soaking everything mm-hmm. in. Uh, yeah, that was their film school, yeah. like hanging out at the cabin with Sam Raimi fucking around with Bruce Campbell. Like, it, it's a weird place to yeah. think of the Coen brothers themselves being because they seem like extremely <laughs> enigmatic and maybe not grumpy, but very fastidious and maybe uh, like right. like almost like unknowable to a certain extent. And yeah. like very, yes. Yeah. No, just to think of that, they may have helped mix the red food coloring with the corn syrup at some point, right? They were they 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 were just on set, just hanging out with their buddies. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, that sequence is incredible. Uh, They then have a baby, but we see simultaneously um, a pretty good jail escape, as far as these things go in movies. Uh, Pretty good sequence (laughs) of uh, uh, John Goodman and William Forsyth emerging, screaming from the Earth's anus. Covered, covered in shit. Covered in shit. Absolutely. Uh, uh, oh my god! Him just screaming the whole time is just great. It, like, it's so beautiful because like there's on? thunder and lightning in the background, and it's it's pouring down rain. It's essentially the Shawshank Redemption, but uh, it's like a birth. It's a birth. Yeah. But they are yeah, it's yeah, so like the plot complication is born from the earth. Like it actually awakens there. Uh, and then they go to the only friend they can connect with for sure. They 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 go back to High's house. So now we have a couple of escaped cons uh, coming home on the exact same night that the new baby is finally at home. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I didn't have anything else there. That's fine. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I, I, I may have mentioned this uh, uh, on the podcast before. I think John Goodman is my actual favorite actor of all time. I love him very dearly. Uh, and yeah, he he and his brother Ravel just uh, make their way to the home. And then suddenly the movie becomes not can we steal a baby, but how do we get get away with stealing a baby now that there's some ex-convicts in the house? 
Oh my god. Yeah. The, yeah when so they, complicated. When they when they have the welcome home son sign up. Yeah, where's he been? Yeah. He's like, oh, he visited, you know, his friends in Florida. He's just like, I thought they were dead. And he's just like, well, want to see their final resting place. Uh, and they just like, yep, makes sense. Yep, they just go along with it. They're like, I'm totally okay with everything that just happened. And there's there's a weird confluence in this moment because I think that, that there's a real metaphysical angle to this movie it could be taken as a dream it could be taken as uh really really expressionistic uh but on the same night that they come over uh high is awoken from his first of a series of nightmares in this movie uh where he has a vision of tex cobb uh like <laughs> just riding his motorcycle down an arizona highway being especially cruel to the little things um and it's almost as though tex cobb and then the convicts are summoned by the sins of high's past. Like he, he's sinned too much. He's robbed too many convenience stores. And now the, the risk is that his past is going to catch up with him and ruin this beautiful family that they finally have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's, it's, it's a really amazing. That's what I love so much about that character um, is that you don't quite know how he's going to come into play. Is this just a figment of High's imagination uh, or is he just dreaming it or is this actually a, a reality and it becomes a reality, which, it, you know, you say it so, so well, Corey, but it's just a, a great metaphor for, <laughs> for life and your past catching up. Absolutely. To you. Mm-hmm. Um, but, then, but then we see uh, High and Ed climbing the social ladder. They suddenly have a family unit. Uh, they, they excuse their convict friends because they have some decent people coming over. Um, <laughs> then begins the, the introduction of Sam McMurray and, Flor- and Francis McDonald. Chris, I would like you to tell us about the uh, the dinner engagement. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, the second they arrive, <laughs> they, it's like they don't even take the kids out of the car. Like the the the, the <laughs> mom, uh, uh, Sam and Francis are like saying hi, and then it cuts to the kids, all five of them kicking the <laughs> shit out of Nicholas Cage's car, uh, just like Malcolm in the Middle. Oh, yeah. uh, he took like 84 pages from this movie uh and uh yeah so francis mcdormand is on 12 yep. uh she you know uh and she she's so excited to be there and then what's his uh, sam mcmurray uh who plays glenn undervalued actor uh, he's, he's one of those undervalued guys and he's in a lot of stuff and i'm delighted every time he is but i i, I wanted a bigger career for sam mcmurray personally yeah i i think and hopefully, you know, more people will will notice him, you know, down the line because I think, you know, more people are watching uh, uh, not only this but Friends, yeah. uh, which is having a really big rebirth. And he plays the basically the same character. Uh, he's just this, you know, blowhard, racist, <laughs> sex, <laughs> but simultaneously hilarious uh uh swinger and <laughs> yes he i and i and I, I unfortunately can't repeat uh most of the jokes that he says uh, <laughs> but um yeah we'll encourage, uh, we'll encourage people to look up there uh the, the collection of polish jokes that he tells in the movie do that on your own time we won't be repeating those here yeah yeah no thanks um no it's it's excellent it's he's i think it's hard to say you know if, if there was any uh 
competition to who's the my favorite character in the movie it would be glenn yeah. uh Glenn's every second every second he's on screen i am i am dying and <laughs> he has some of the best line readings of any any actor mm-hmm. ever uh there because there's something wrong with my semen and then he just uh <laughs> Mind, don't cut yeah yourself, man. Mordecai. Um, and no, go well, ahead. I said, like, he, like he's perfect. I think this is. Uh, you're right. It's a it's a tornado coming through their trailer. This family visiting them, and they're because th- this movie is like the entire life cycle of a family in microcosm, where they've gotten the child finally, and now they can ascend to an upper class level of the uh, well, the, the middle class suburban family. And as soon as they get some access to that, the example they have is the most nightmarish chaos machine of these shithead mm. kids writing fart on the wall, which is my favorite joke. <laughs> um, or <laughs> or uh, like the, the example of Glenn and Dot is that of people who have created these miracles and completely squandered them and have no appreciation for like what it is that they have. They're just extractive and destructive. Uh, and yeah, they're, they're the exact opposite of the family that they're actually trying to be. And they're mm-hmm. rooting, they're actually rooting for their, you know, bad behavior. Yeah. Like, they're, he's like proud that his son is, has, uh, learns his, knows his ABCs. <laughs> and the kid who, like, with the squirt gun and he makes Nick Cage, like, look like he peed yeah. his pants. And he's like, that's, <laughs> that's my boy. boy. That's my kid. Mm-hmm. That's uh, my guy. <laughs> I love it. Just totally casual. And they don't even acknowledge, he doesn't even apologize to him for. No, he he asked to have sex with his wife. (laughs) (laughs) And that's, yeah, that's his whole mission on that, on that, uh, on that uh, Sunday afternoon lunch, lunch date is to get him to swing with him. (laughs) So someone, someone someday is going to write the, the great rundown or great class analysis of Raisin Arizona. I think there's like this, this little mini play in the middle of this movie uh, decrying the petit bourgeoisie, of the like upper middle class uh, who are entitled to the entire planet do not they're they're going to destroy the entire earth as they did in real life uh, and they're they're just breeding shithead little monsters that make the world the worst place and are cheering the entire time just oblivious to their impact on the rest of the world and society it's great bummer we also have to give a shout out to francis mcdormand in this scene as well who does an incredible job as dot the way is she bad when Uh, is she bad francis mcdormand has never been bad in a movie never bad nope Uh, that billboard movie was whatever it was called uh, in a bad movie she's very good uh yes exactly married to joel cohen it should be said they I, i think they were just dating at this point but she was college roommates with holly hunter at yale um, so they were just like hiring their friends and family to come in there. And they would eventually go on to give Frances McDormand the best role of her career down the road. And they continue working with her occasionally. Oh, she's going to be Lady Macbeth pretty soon um, to Denzel yeah. Washington, which I'm very, very excited I, about. Ooh. I have never been more excited for I movie. have no idea uh, what's going to happen with that fucking thing, but I am very psyched to watch that. That sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> have, you, Corey, have you ever seen any iteration of Macbeth, like either in film or... Uh, I imagine Anything? I have at some point. I was going to say, yeah, with uh, Ethan Hawke, but that's Hamlet, isn't it? I don't know that I've ever actually sat yeah. through an entire Macbeth production because my stage plays that I've seen, by and large, are ones that you yourself have done. Uh, Chris is a very yeah, talented yeah, yeah. actor. <laughs> my entire exposure to theater is going to see Chris in plays that he's in. So if you haven't done Macbeth, I ain't seen it. 
<laughs> oh man. Uh, well, there's a, th- one of my favorite adaptations is sadly Roman Polanski's uh, version man, of it. Good movies, man. Uh, it's a bummer. Which I have on DVD if you want to watch because it's beautiful and heartbreaking uh, and violent and great. Um, but I, I can't wait. I can't wait to see a funny Macbeth. It, is uh, it going to be funny though? I don't. Well, I hope most so. of most of Shakespeare's dramas are very comical. So yes, I think it could definitely be a very very funny movie. And Macbeth is not about Macbeth. Macbeth is Lady about Macbeth, Lady Macbeth, who's a hilarious uh, character and who is yeah. absolutely. I've, I've been watching The Sopranos um, for the first time recently, and there are like Livia Soprano, his mother is very much Lady Macbeth, as is his sister, and you see the multi generation impact of that kind of behavior. That's one of the funniest character types. Uh, the the person who can't help mm-hmm. but poison the well and exert their influence on the world and just feel sorry for themselves the entire time. It's pretty good stuff. Yeah. yeah. Francis McDermott, L- Lady Macbeth sounds spectacular. You know, <laughs> I think, I think if they, I think so many people miss an opportunity with Shakespeare to play into the comedy. Oh it's yeah. Often missed. Uh, and so if we're, if we're going at that angle for a lady or for a, I even called the play Lady Macbeth just now uh, for going into that and leaning into <laughs> the comedy for Macbeth, I think it would be. Well, there's a recent, it, was the Florence Pugh Lady Macbeth an actual adaptation of Macbeth or was that a completely different story? No. Oh, I it don't was, know that one. That's, yeah, that's like a completely different, it's about like a, she, uh, I think it's kind of, it's, it's, it's kind of like Lady Shatter, Chatterley, uh, in, in the sense that she is like this upper, upper crust, uh, uh, Elizabethan, uh, heiress Fancy pants, and yeah. she, yeah, and she falls in love with like a stable boy, uh, or or some shit uh, like that. But it, it's like a very like sexual <laughs> sexual awakening, okay, like f you to the patriarchy. Okay, sure, so sure, sure. We should totally watch that. <laughs> sure, uh, definitely. <laughs> yeah, what are you doing, lady? <laughs> um, but yeah. <laughs> anyway. Anywho, we just went on a tangent there. About well, now Macbeth. I know if I fun. if we're ever like having trouble making headway in one of these episodes, I'll just mention Macbeth and let you take over, Jesse. <laughs> Perfect, great. <laughs> we'll put my degree to good use. Yeah, Jesse, I wanted I wanted to lift you up too. So thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. <laughs> I'm not against you, yes. folks. I'm not opposed to Shakespeare. I just like I know I know who the expert in the room is. You know what I mean? And it ain't me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me. You guys go ahead and take this one. <laughs> yeah, you just need to see some good Shakespeare, Corey, fine, and then you'll be fine. Um, I see a play once every year or so to remind myself I don't like them, and then I don't have to do it for another year. So anyway, having been exposed to uh, one potential path for their family, they now know the family they're not going to be. But then, narratively, the sky begins to fall down. Um uh, John Goodman and William Forsythe realize that they <laughs> that their baby Junior is uh, is Nathan Arizona Junior, uh, and they intend to collect the bounty. At the same time, Sam McMurray, having been punched out because he attempted to swing with uh, with Ed, it also finds out. And then all, at the same time, Tex Cobb is on his way to pick, pick up the baby as well. Oh. Beautiful. His, Beautifully done. His scene, <laughs> the the scene he has with Nathan, uh, Nathan Arizona in his office. Yes. Uh, I that's that's probably my favorite scene in the movie. Really now, uh, when he catches the fly like right in front of his face. Oh, so good. And he's like, you like you want to like you want to find a, a hunter, you hire a hunter. Yeah. You want to find a Dunkin' Donuts, you hire a Great. cop. Uh, 
Uh, oh my god! Yeah, the, the scene of uh, him walking through, like, because the running theme of of Tex Cobb is that he defiles everything in his path. He's just this, like, mm-hmm. he's he's the nothing, or he's that slop from Fern Gully, or whatever. He is just a destructive ambient force <laughs> that just taints everything along its way. But the 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 image of him like magically producing the cigar and the match as he walks through the furniture store yes, and really leaving nice. this deep trench in the cabinet with like lighting his match. Lighting incredible yeah. stuff, incredible stuff. Two things, two things I loved about that scene. One, uh, this guy, uh, Arizona, walks in here and thinks, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take care yeah. of this, sweetheart. Like, don't worry, I got this. Like, no, you don't know who this man is, you're not gonna no. walk into that room uh, and take care of this. This guy's a criminal, so that was hilarious to me. Uh, and then two, uh, the text has this incredible vocal moment in this mm-hmm. scene because he's not talking very intimidatingly, no. but mm. everything else about him <laughs> is so intimidating. Yeah. That yeah. makes so good because you're like you're not going to talk to this guy uh, and then he opens his mouth and you're like okay and he's got this like subtle low uh almost congested like, voice yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's angelic like, voice yeah, yeah. it's it is it's like something angelic about it chris yes you nailed it it's not it's not like a uh, deep uh like i'm gonna kill you voice there's something yeah. different it's about very it very matter of so factly good. saying the most evil shit in the world like you're you're charging yes. too little for the baby i know folks pay a lot more yeah. than twenty five thousand dollars for a healthy white baby and he describes having himself been sold on the black market as a child and what his price was he said you can pay me or not but i'm gonna i'm gonna capture this kid and if you don't pay my price i'm going to sell it to the black market so it's it's just destructive capitalism it it is it it is very very mundane very gently delivered evil it's really really cool yeah it's good and we have to we have to make a point that he is covered in grenades Mm -hmm. and uh knives and burnt baby shoes No, yes, the those shoes. are his uh, gelded shoes. Not gelded. Uh, uh, you know how folks would bronze their little baby booties? Like parents yeah. used to do that. I think those are his baby oh, shoes. Yeah. I think they're his bronze baby oh. shoes. Exactly. Or or ones of a baby he's stolen and sold. Who's to say? But yeah. You're right. right, yeah, right. He's, he steals yeah. kids. Not a, gay, not a great guy. Um, <laughs> that's it but that's a scene that the coen brothers have done in multiple different movies like a, a mild-mannered person encountering an evil presence and just having a conversation across the table so there's anton chigurh and Woody mm-hmm. harrelson yeah. uh, or more specifically anton chigurh and uh kelly mcdonald's character in no country for old men um just mm-hmm. just a person who in the middle of their day encounters the devil and then there's of course john goodman and uh john totoro and barton fink um this is a theme they constantly come back to because I think it's a good one. I think it's a person and the devil having a conversation makes for pretty good dialogue. Makes it's pretty good. Oh my that god, that is true. Stuff. <laughs> it is good stuff, and I love um, sort of circling back to is the result of them all finding out about this kid's value. Um, you know, you see um, Hi about to leave his wife and his child that they have stolen together writing this note uh leaving them because he's he's a he's a man of crime and so he is gonna go out and continue to commit crimes because as his as his friends tell him that's who he is that's his nature um and uh then they realize 
what value uh -huh. this baby is and totally turn on him in this great scene. Probably one of the biggest action scenes of the movie besides the one coming up. Um, <laughs> well, there's a few action set pieces like sprinkled in amongst the rest of the movie because as soon as, uh, as soon as the uh, uh, dot and Glenn leave uh, high acts out by uh going out to pick up diapers and robbing the convenience store. Uh, and you know what proceeds yeah. is like the best live action Looney Tunes thing that's ever happened. Like the, <laughs> the man yeah. screaming oh, yeah. the yeah. dogs running through the Fabulous. stranger's house and stuff like that. And then, uh, and then once he realizes that Glenn and, uh, not Glenn and Evel, uh, Gail and Evel are intending to uh, steal the baby to collect the ransom money, proceeds with a, the, the trailer fight, which has been either parodied or <laughs> paid tribute to in lots of other really great movies. I think specifically Kill Bill 2 has an entire trailer fight sequence inspired by this, but it's great. Oh, it's so good. The... His face crunching the Cheeto at the end is maybe the best moment. <laughs> Well, no, my favorite moment is when he tries to, uh, like, Throw raise his hand down. over the ceiling yeah. and his hand grates, like, the, <laughs> yeah. the, fu the, the fucking, like, swimming pool bottom. Yeah. Like, the stucco uh, material up there, yeah. And then, like, John Goodman trying to punch him, but he keeps hitting the walls. Uh, oh, my Set God. Set a fight in a small place. It's, it's a recipe for success. It always works. But but the the, the ex-cons escape with Nathan Jr. Uh, they they attempt to rob a bank while also being in possession of the baby. Uh, great sequence there. Uh, the die pack explodes in the car. They're sidelined. High comes get the baby. And then we're confronted for the final time. Well, them forgetting the baby <laughs> the multiple <laughs> times. Multiple times. <laughs> on top of the car. Not just like, oh, we left him on the sidewalk. No, that baby fell from the top of the car as they drove away. And also to say that Evel, uh, William Forsythe's character, is also like Ed falling in love with this baby. Yeah. Yes, yes. He's like, oh my God, like, like he's, he's, he's had an me. accident. He's like, oh, he smiles. Like, I'm so sorry. I'll never leave you again. I'll never, ever leave you. And it's just like, oh, this is so it's beautiful. Really is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Him like recognizing this sweet innocent child. Yeah. And there's a bunch of like, like you, one line you, performances you... in this entire sequence of like the the man in the convenience store saying not, not unless she thinks round is funny, uh, or or counting or counting to uh, like two thousand the back again. Like Eight hundred is all bullshit. He put, he puts his head above the counter and the car is coming back, so he gets back to counting. Just like every, yeah, everyone who gets a speaking part in this movie just crushes, and the writing is so so mm -hmm. good for all the little side characters. Yeah. Well, what do you want me to do? You want me to get down on the ground or you want me to freeze? Yeah, what a classic moment. If I get down, I will be in motion. <laughs> <laughs> and you will shoot me dead. I always think of that part. The joke where, I was... Where, where, the, where, the, where the bank tellers? Down here, sir. <laughs> I always forget about the we're down here, sir, because it happens just after a big laugh line and it's so good, so good. So yeah, like the, that's the thing. Like when we're describing this movie, like every time a person is moving through the world is the funniest thing you've ever seen in your life. Because there's end bits of business they're doing, or there's some kind of funny noise happening in the background. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, we eventually get to the point where they've dispatched with all the other threats uh, to the baby, and they're just left with one uh, Satan. Uh, what did you guys think about the big showdown with the big bad boy himself? Loved it. Well, my question is, uh, 
how excellent of a of an idea to show his final reveal like in like in the background with a huge explosion of fire incredible like it makes it makes you wonder if he like threw a grenade right like in front of his just, bike just yeah, to just show his moment. presence yeah, exactly. like a magician <laughs> um yeah he uses grenades oh as folk comes to make an entrance it's pretty good it's a good yeah thing. yes oh man brilliant. i love it because uh and what because what is it because yeah because Hyde uh fights him for a while and then uh that leaves and then holly hunter's character yeah. grabs the baby and runs mm-hmm. uh and leaving him leaving him behind um but no it's it's beautiful but i i want someone else to to talk about this because <laughs> I'm going to talk forever. Well, sure, it. sure. So it, it's just like an extended chase sequence through the bank. Like the the funny bit about which has all the like the the comical moments. Like he's running and doesn't know Nick Cage is there with like a board, yeah. getting ready to smack him. In yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like all of the great little moments. <laughs> and he gets thrown twenty feet off the bike. It's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> the other funny bit about uh, Tex Cobb is that uh, he's only ever off the motorcycle twice in the movie. I think one when he's in the furniture store, and then again at the very, very end of the movie. But like, if he wants yeah. to go through a bank, he's on his motorcycle the entire time, just like going through doorways and. <laughs> stuff just constantly on the bike yeah um but yeah like they high is faced with an unbeatable physical force he's just getting the crap kicked out of him and dragged across concrete and uh and eventually dispatches with him in a very very funny way by uh pulling the pin on one of the grenades on his on his vest and uh exploding him sending him back to hell really good also I'd never noticed this the the until the last watch, uh, but he has the same tattoo, uh, uh, tattoo. tattoo. right? Um, Which I thought was a really interesting thing because you know he notices it in that moment, but we never give it much more thought than that. So, it makes so what you, do you make of it? It makes you wonder if he's actually just uh, 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 like envisioning that, like if it because whenever uh, they're in the car and they see the they see him coming over the horizon. And she's and Holly Hunter's like, who the hell is that? And, and Nick Cage is like, oh, you can see him yeah. too. Uh, so I think they kind of you can kind of infer that it's uh, he's he's like picturing that in his head. Could be, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think all, mm-hmm. what and I've drawn that conclusion with like other times I've watched it. This most recent time was like uh, I, I saw it as him seeing a part of himself in text and vice versa uh thinking that Mm -hmm. regardless of the acts we carry out in our life everyone has their roadrunner that they're chasing you know like all people who exist have something they're trying to achieve that they long for um and it's it's what you do in the pursuit of that that makes you the person that you are not what you want but how you go about achieving it in some cases yeah, I, 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 yeah. It, isn't that amazing your brother does that so much he's just like puts puts the most beautiful bow on a scene and you're like yep, yep. that's it that's it that's correct that's it yeah but it's it, <laughs> it's all i can say. do like one time i was uh, uh my dad let us let me mow the lawn on the riding mower and i did such a shitty job he made me stop halfway through and just did it himself like i can't do a lot of practical <laughs> stuff like right <laughs> it up you're just going in a little zigzag pattern just making <laughs> squares and i fucked up so bad he had to take over it's so good oh my god well I that poor it. that poor that poor puppy broke down and we yeah. had to do the push mower <laughs> uh and that and that yard was not small no, it's, it's a big one. that was a it was a they got, large they got nothing one. but space out there in rural <laughs> illinois man you got plenty of plenty of land to live on um yeah wow. <laughs> 
but but having dispatched uh, the great evil of the movie, then uh, High and Ed make the decision to uh, to return the baby, and so we get a final scene with Nathan Arizona that doesn't. I I love this so much. Um, because it could very well have been another scene there. It could have been just him hooting and hollering and calling the cops and stuff like that. But uh, like in the same way that High saw the Roadrunner tattoo on Tex and saw a piece of himself, I think Nathan Arizona mm. uh, sees them kind of like standing next to the crib. And they're obviously, they, they love each other very much. And he realizes in a second, like, well, that's why they stole the kid. They just, they right. want the thing that I, I'm lucky enough to have, you know? Mm-hmm. of five, five of, of, yeah. you know uh <laughs> um yeah it's a really this ending scene i thought was was pretty powerful because you know he ultimately uh nathan realizes they are the ones that took the baby and sort of puts all the other pieces together um but also realizes that they are also the ones that protected and saved the baby yeah. from uh as we've been calling him the mm-hmm. devil um and he uh all of that comes together for him. And then he sees this just happy couple, um, sad now sure. that they're giving up this child that that they love, um, uh, acknowledging that they, they are going to have a hard time. And there are some things that in life that are going to be harder than others. And, and he says this great line about, you know, but I don't know what I would do if I didn't have, uh, what's her name? Um, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have oh, my damn. wife. Essentially. Florence, um, uh, Florence, Florence, yeah. Florence, Arizona. And, you know, I think he realizes, you know, despite the babies, despite all of the, the privilege that this couple has, they don't, they, they, they have a lot more than most people, but even if you whittled all of that down, they would be still happy, just the two yeah. of them. And I think it's a good, it's like, it's just really beautiful. And I love that you said it's sort of a similar moment. He's seeing himself in them mm. um, and recognizing that this is not a moment to ruin people's lives by throwing them into jail because they kidnapped a child. Um, this is a moment to acknowledge our 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 blessings yeah. quote unquote right our, yeah. our, our privilege the things that we that we get that others don't um and it's a great it's a great ending scene it's really well and, done and, and oh go ahead chris did you have something uh well i would yeah because I, I i just i love his uh nathan arizona's like I, th- I think he might be his last line before before they leave but he he's just saying like you know it you know francis or florence and i you know we've been trying hard too because they they're obviously in their fifth they have to be in their late 50s or late late 40s early 50s uh and the fact that they were able to have five and it it sort of gives them uh i hopefully it gives hi and ed uh hope to keep trying Mm. uh i love that chris yeah yeah because it's you know it's not like you know anything's anything's possible in this world uh uh, especially for an infertile mother but uh yeah i just i i I thought that that was such a uh you know for as cynical Mm -hmm. as the coens are constantly uh you know that they deep down they they want to do good they want to bring good into this world and they want to show it in a realistic mm-hmm. uh way um 
I just thought that was really Yeah, beautiful. this is maybe like the most yeah. uh, realistic conversation. There's nothing heightened or stylistic about the conversations mm-hmm. happen with Nathan here. Kind of like uh, they, they get rid of the, the Tennessee Williams or the Flannery O'Connor language just to have a conversation. And what, what mm-hmm. would have been easier, maybe would have played better at the time, it would have been Nathan saying, well, you stupid kids, don't you crazy. Can I leave a fine woman like this? And he doesn't do anything like that. He just says, you know what I found is I, I think you should sleep on it. Sometimes you feel different in the morning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And literally sleeps on it yep. then and has this incredible dream, which illustrates the future uh, and, and what uh, the future of the child, which is amazing and and sort of hilarious in its own its own way um he's like some football star and you know they they watch yeah. him from the sidelines right i love that idea that they still keep tabs on their kid and send him christmas presents yeah. um to this kid that they've yeah he's fantasizing about um, doing a good thing for a kid and maybe making his future better it's so simple it's really mm-hmm. beautiful and then uh, it ending in, you know, the way we m- maybe many of us hope our, our lives end, you know, like being surrounded by a giant family and love and care and support and making sure that everyone in that family feels valued and loved. And I can imagine, Corey, that that's one of the reasons that makes you so emotional is because it's such a beautiful sentiment um, mm-hmm. that your life's meaning is to make other people in this world feel loved and important because they're part of your circle yeah. they're part of your family that you've created and then, and then maybe um, at the end like the the reward that we could maybe not expect because i think it's 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 a very lucky few they get this but if you see the love that you put into the world i'm gonna start crying if you see that love reflected back to you in the home that you've made that's mm-hmm. the best life can be yep. mm-hmm Exactly. It was it was so like Norman Rockwell at the end. I loved it. Uh, they have like the huge ass table, and they're still and they're still <laughs> yeah. they're still living and they're still living in the same shitty yeah, trailer. Yeah. I it's love it. Yeah, and, but but in Utah, perhaps it maybe yeah, Utah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> and the, the, the thing about the spread that jumped out at me this time is that they're still like people of humble means. They're not asking for a lot. They probably mm-hmm. uh, paid fifty bucks for that twenty pound turkey that's on the table. That's a huge extravagance. Right. But almost every other plate is like celery and peanut butter. Um, I really yeah. liked seeing that this time around. It was like, no, we're not asking for too much, guys. We just want a, a big family uh, who love each other. And and that's it. And it's really, yep. really beautiful. Yep. It's it's a it's a it's a beautiful ending to a crazy movie. <laughs> um uh... <laughs> Yeah, so I mean uh uh, I, I'm, I'm back together. We're not talking about the scene that's the Corey cry button anymore. So uh, <laughs> it, it ends beautifully with a dream of tomorrow. Um, but yeah, I think at this point we've, we've covered just about everything. There, there. I was, I was thinking about maybe do you do you want to do a favorite lines segment from this movie? Because this movie, while well, well, like, and I was just hung up on the the God, the devil, the universe, existentialism thing for this this record. But what were some lines that stuck out to you that you've thought of since having watched it? Mm. Well, I mean, I said one of them already, but the the it's not an armed robbery if the bull if the gun isn't loaded uh, sticks out. I love it. <laughs> it's a great, great moment. No, but... so illogical. But also correct. It's, it's, it's legally correct. Yeah. 
And he's telling that to an ex-cop. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> like, you know yes. the rules, oh, honey. You know I would never do that kind of thing. Don't be silly. Yeah, come on. <laughs> also, you know, we, we didn't give enough time to that chase scene um, no. that ensues after that. Um, just seeing, like, the pantyhose on Nicolas Cage's head and then flapping oh, yeah. behind him as he's, like, <laughs> running through all of these houses is pretty great. And when he's in the convenience store, uh, when he's when he's in the big uh, shop, uh, uh, grocery yeah. store, and he's being he's not only being shot at by a fucking (laughs) cannon uh by the cop but also a double barrel from the like the butcher yeah everyone's got a gun and he is yeah and he's and he's jogging with like the the confidence of like michael jordan coming out of the uh out of the dome (laughs) i i i love it uh oh gotta grab the diapers though yeah 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 uh it just it it was it was so much like uh the ronnie lily episode of barry definitely Um, definitely this is another jesse i'll eventually show you uh ronnie and lily is on my tv episodes list that we'll eventually cover but yeah it's uh, um yeah a plan going poorly and then the fallout of it is always great happy valentine we just got a text from mom did you see that chris yes mom text right in the middle of the course said happy valentine's day we'll write her back that is sweet <laughs> so um yeah some things that like live rent free in my head that i think about all the time i think the line uh-huh. is precisely 8 45 in the p.m and that goes through my head every mm-hmm. single day if i look at the time it is precisely 7 24 in the p.m all <laughs> the time i go ahead chris the the well the two the two lines that stuck out to me uh when uh hi is going to go pick up his check at work and the uh the the woman who's giving mm-hmm. the checks just kind of <laughs> smiling and she's like chain mm-hmm. smoking she's like government do take a bite don't she <laughs> but if you think i haven't thought about that line every paycheck i've ever opened since having seen this movie <laughs> government sure do take a bite don't she um and Emmett walsh uh one we've oh, all ahead. thought that line mm-hmm. in our own heads yeah, uh, in the different dialect, but the way she says it is just how we'll all say uh-huh. it now from now on. Because if you turn yeah. it into what's basically a song about you about, uh, about overtaxation with with wages, yeah, it works. It sticks in your head. Um, M. Emmett Walsh deserves a shout out. He is yes. He was he was the evil force in their first movie, the one right before this Blood Simple, which is phenomenal. Um, Blood yeah. Simple is basically like. What if raising Arizona, but like, no, for real, for real. And then they make the silly version immediately after it. Uh, but his recounting mm-hmm. the story of a guy uh, carrying someone's head. Uh, excellent stuff. Oh, excellent yeah. stuff. Any other any other things that jumped out to you folks you think we should cover in more detail? Um, you had another line, Chris. You were going to say another one. Oh, well, one. I mean, and it was going to be the M. Emmett Walsh uh, story, <laughs> uh-huh. but I, I had written. I, I wrote it down in my in my gurnal here. <laughs> you want to um, take us through it? No, yeah. So I mean, it, the the movie starts with him telling the story. He's like, "Now that's Bill Parker, you understand? And he's got the sandwich in one hand and the fucking head in the other, and he's just like cackling." And uh, you can hear him. You can hear his audio kind of bleeding through yeah. in the next shot of him going like, "He he 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 he," like, "Oh, it's ah." Uh. <laughs> so perfect and then it washed the god um so yeah folks thank, thank you for taking the time both of you to discuss one of my favorite objects of the entire world i love it very much if you're listening to this and you haven't seen the movie in a while or haven't at all 
you, you should not have listened to this, but uh, go check it out. I think um, <laughs> it's hard to say why something is your favorite thing because it just the same way in the the Chunking episode we just recorded a, a, a couple of weeks ago, Jesse. It's like uh, it's hard to describe a movie vibrating at a wavelength and it just being compatible mm-hmm. with you, you know. Uh, but I think we, yeah, go ahead. I think so. One thing stood out, you know, like we've had a couple of movies that we've that have been in our top five that we've sort of discovered are on our own. You know, I think Chunking was that for you. Um, and then I have a few coming up. But a lot of the movies that are in our top five are heavily influenced by the things our parents yep. watched um, mm-hmm. and, and our family loved. Right. And so I think that's really telling that we gain so much by watching our family watch watch things and, and the enjoyment that it provides. So, um, you know, another nice little bow on this movie about that ultimately ends about, you know, creating a family yeah, and a life. In, in right? both but, cases, those, the things we're referring to, uh, last crusade and raising Arizona are movies about families, mm-hmm. are movies about the dynamics yep. between people and a family. So yeah, it's a weird, like, yeah, my family gave me this. It's about families and it's how I define my view of families. It, it's a weird little, uh, mm-hmm. little feedback loop that happens. It is. It is. And I really like that. But before, Chris, before we let you go, I think we need to ask you a question. So Uh-oh. if you were to name your top five oh. movies, since you're in the theme of top oh. five, and you know, you're not married to these top five. Yeah. Because Corey and I have gone back and forth during this whole movie escapade we're going on right now. With yeah, 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 with yeah. Ours. But if you had to name them right now, what would be there? Uh, first off the thing, Mm -hmm. John Carpenter, um, most of my, most of my favorite movies end with Ing or start with (laughs) the, so, uh, I mean, the shining was probably, is probably my favorite movie. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, also this, uh, Dutch film, uh, called the vanishing or Sporlos or Sporlos, um, <laughs> we might get some then, angry notes from dad on the pronunciation of that one but <laughs> yeah yeah what if handsome Damon, jump in the comments um, tell us what's up but uh <laughs> uh i'd say maybe uh i'd say it's a tie between on the waterfront and 12 angry men and then picnic at hanging Woo! rock uh uh, wow! Early Peter Weir, mm-hmm. uh, director of the the beloved Truman Show. And what else? Um, what else did I would, uh, What else did he direct, Bud? He, he well, he directed. <laughs> you know uh, what I'm talking about. What, Come on. What? Uh, well, he he directed Master yeah! Commander. Uh, oh, that's, <laughs> that's it. Okay, one. that's the one. That's the one. No, Wait, he, is that a movie you dislike? No, that movie kicks that ass. That movie, that movie that rules. Like? No, the, that's the most like yeah. That's, that's the ideal dudes rock movie. It's the best. Yeah, yeah. I've I've seen that movie. That's a good one. Yeah, I have to because most of my most of my favorite movies are just all dudes yep. being you know being dudes. But then there's Picnic at Hanging Rock, which is <laughs> all, all, women, all women all the time. Uh, all women all the time, and suddenly much uh, and fewer women out of nowhere. Yes. Jesse, you would love this movie, and I want. Yes, it is. It's on Turner Classic Mm -hmm. Movies, and you should watch it. Um, Have you seen it, Corey? Yeah, definitely. It's been a long time. Um, But weirdly, the uh, Picnic and Hang Rock has been one that's kind of been like 
in the ether for the last few years. Um, I was watching, like, I've seen The Leftovers a bunch of times. And that's very heavily influenced by that, basically the same premise. But uh, weirdly, mm. I think a lot of people are talking about Picnic and Hanging Rock right now. Uh, like, how, yeah. how does the community deal with an indescribable, tragic event that they had no control yeah. over? Which, I mean, and obviously yeah. resonates in the world today. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, hand in hand with uh, sexual repression of, of uh, that too. young women. That too. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's beautiful. It's a dream. Um, that's, that's it's it a for good now. List, man. But yeah. It's a good one. Thanks. Yeah, you have, you have a lot of uh, good choices there. Thanks, guys. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. So we, we've ended each of these episodes with uh, kind of a, a teaser for the next one. Um, I know uh, the next one we record will be Legally Blonde. Uh, which is on Jesse's list, yep. which I'm very excited to, to rewatch and talk about. I'm, I'm psyched for it. I finally watched that, Jesse. I finally watched. <laughs> You've it. never seen it. I had never seen it, but my but uh, Kate, my 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 G my GF was like, you have to watch. <laughs> it's, it's a good movie. A fabulous movie. She's delightful. Reese Witherspoon, mm-hmm. national treasure. She is. She really is. <laughs> and then I, I think I think I've landed on the next movie I want to cover uh, of my pick. Ooh, yes. Um, Tell us. Spirited Away. Woo! I'm I'm very excited to get into that one. Absolutely. And I think, uh, anyway, we'll get into it when the time comes. But uh, Chris, I love you very dearly. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about my favorite movie. I love you too, man. Thanks for having me, Jesse. And thanks for having me, Corey. This is Showstoppers. (laughs) Bye-bye. I gotta pee. (laughs) 